Well, good morning. It's good to be today with my, my church family, both those of you that are here with us today and, and my friends also that are online. Um, you know, it's, it's been a great week uh, to be back home uh, here with my church family. I had a great time with our youth on Wednesday night, and then Rena did a, a, a great job yesterday with the, the women, and I got to be part of that. And, and uh, uh, then it was encouraging for me to be with my men's group and, and hang out with those guys and pray for each other and, and encourage one another. I am so thankful uh, for my brothers and sisters who, who uh, give me help and strengthen my faith all throughout the week. I believe to stay healthy and strong in your faith, you need to be fighting the battle on multiple fronts. Our, our morning worship is like the air war of the battle. And, and so I'm glad you're all here for, for the air war. And our life groups are like the, the ground war as we get together in the trenches as bands of, of, of brothers and sisters and do life together. You know, our faith is not a passive thing. Faith is a, a, a fight. You know, the world, the devil, and our own flesh war against us constantly. You know, I was thinking in my 33 years as a believer, I have known many who seemed to be white hot in the faith, and now they, they just seem to be cool or discouraged or maybe have even abandoned their faith altogether. And you know, the reason I can, in, in the years that I've been a pastor, in almost every case is, is either they got hurt by someone and got bitter and, and, and stopped uh, coming into the air war and the ground war, or they, they got distracted by life, or they just kind of faded. They just drifted away because they really were not in the fight in the first place. You know, my title today is Fighting from Victory. Our, our fight in the Christian faith is to remember the victory. You know, we all can get spiritual amnesia, can't we? We can forget who we are. We can forget what God has done for each of us. We're often like the children of Israel who God delivered from the greatest army on earth at the time, the Egyptians. And even the Egyptian people like gave them all their jewelry, all, all their treasure. They're like, get out of here. Get these plagues out of here. They, they sent them all. And so... One minute, the Israelites, they're, they're singing songs about God's great love, his kindness, and his protection for them. And then three days later, they come across some water that's a little too bitter to drink, and they lose their faith completely in God, and they start grumbling against him and each other. We're never going to make it. God hates me. He hates us. We should have stayed slaves back in Egypt. What are we going to drink? And our good God reminded them of the victory in him. And he fixed the water. And he said this to him, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and, and, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and, and keep his decrees, I will not bring you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that heals you. Basically he's saying, trust me, listen to me and you will have victory. You know, most athletic competitions or, or wars or, or fights, we're fighting for victory. But for the believer in Jesus, we are truly fighting 
from victory. If God is for us, then, then who can be against us? See, Jesus gave us all victory on the cross. He won the war with sin. He won our war with the devil. He won the war against death. The problem is, many of us in this life are not battling from that perspective. Many live believing that they are defeated. Friends, the fight of faith is to remember and to claim victory by faith through all of life's battles. Have I lost my mic here, or did you just turn it down? You just turned it down. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, it, it is to receive the victory, not to necessarily achieve it. You know, many lose the battle because they're wasting all their energy fighting the wrong battle. And then there are others that do not recognize that they're in a battle at all. You know, today in our text, I believe Jesus is teaching us how to win. So let's look at Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. And it says, He went on his way through the towns and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. You know, life for us and also for Jesus is a journey not a destination. Faith is a journey, not a destination. The text tells us Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. His face was set on his purpose, the cross, the, the place of his victory. Jesus had many battles with religious people along the way as he taught people in the towns and the villages. But that, none of that ever discouraged him each day because his purpose was not to win each battle, but to win the war for us. I, I think many in life become discouraged because they lose sight or they forget the objective of our faith, the, the restoration of our relationship with God so we can spend eternity with him. You know, life is not about our comfort. Life is about walking through battles with God that build our character so that we can become more like Jesus and that we can share in his victory. I think many lose the battle with faith because they start with the wrong objective. And they don't commit themselves to the victory, God's ultimate purpose for their lives. You know, over the last year, I've been really talking a lot about being committed and accountable to the gospel. Why? Because Jesus was a committed guy. He was committed constantly to his victory in the gospel. All of his preaching to the disciples and the people in the towns was about what he was focused on, our victory in the gospel. And from Luke 9 on, his face is just focused toward the cross. Matthew 16, 21 kind of gives us you know, the, what, what Jesus was like every day. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and the third day be raised to life. Jesus talks about being raised as if it's a done deal. You know why? It is. Jesus is constantly talking about his victory in the gospel if you're paying attention. So are you? Are you always talking to others and yourself about the victory of the gospel? You know, God promised that, that all this was going to happen 
since before the foundations of the world. Back in Genesis 3, he, he promised victory. And, and God does not lie. He does not be- break his promises. He said, you have victory, and if you believe it, you have it. Now, while Jesus is focused on telling them about the victory, let, let's look at the question he was asked by some no-name follower. We, we know this man's probably a follower because he calls him Lord. In verse 23, it says, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, that seems like an innocent and very good question. And it can be a question that many of us who set out to follow Jesus start to ask. Sometimes we see and, and we hear from him how much commitment it takes to follow. And, and we become either insecure or we become overconfident in our own commitments. But, but I believe this very question this man asked is dangerous to the truth of the gospel. It's actually doubting that we fight from victory. Did, did Jesus die to save a few? Those who could b- obey the rules? Those few that could never backslide? It, is the promised victory only for them? I don't think so. Because Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The victory is for sinners, not for those who are overconfident in their behavior, the behavior of their flesh. If we are asking if that person over there is going to make it, aren't we putting the burden on their behavior? And if we're doing that, are, are we really trusting in the victory or is their sin bigger to us than the victory? Friends, is your own sin bigger than the victory? Believing that one person's sin is bigger than the victory is, is actually saying the victory is not enough. If we say that only a few are going to make it, we're saying that the victory is not enough. Aren't we minimizing the power of the cross, limiting God's power? You know, there are many people who, who preach the gospel of Jesus by giving the impression that only a special few are going to make it to heaven. Only, only a special few. And, and that is why the world often thinks that Christians are, are, are very narrow and that they're very exclusive. But victory through the gospel is the, the most inclusive doctrine ever. We're all invited. When, when Jesus made an invitation to people, he often used the word, whoever. No restrictions. In John 7, Jesus stands up in a crowd of of prostitutes and religious people and Romans and Greeks who wanted to kill him often. And he shouts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The scriptures and Jesus Promise victory in his gospel. It's men and women who prejudge who God's grace is for and whom it's not for. 
This guy's looking around and at how sinful everybody else is and says, will, will those who are saved be few? Common question I, I hear from many Christians, sometimes in Bible studies, sometimes in prayer meetings, is can you lose your salvation? Because they knew someone that at one point seemed white hot in faith, and now that person doesn't seem to believe. It, if you think about that question, it's, it's similar to this man's question. What, what they have done is judged that person's sins now as greater than God's victory in Jesus. An important doctrine we believe here at Crosswinds is the doctrine of eternal security. That once you are saved, you have victory, and that victory cannot be lost. Now, not every Christian group um, or denomination believes this. Many believe you can fall away, that you can lose your salvation. And to me, those are dangerous groups to the gospel of Jesus. Ultimately, it is saying that the victory is not enough. That, in fact, you're fighting, you're not fighting from victory, but that you are fighting not to lose in life. It's saying your behavior can put you in jeopardy of losing your salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said this in John 10, 27, 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. From that verse, who is it that gives eternal life? Jesus. Jesus alone gives eternal life. And, and who protects that eternal life? The Father. He protects it. Beloved, we fight from victory, not for victory. Churches and people that believe salvation can be lost will become legalistic. They will become judgmental because they get to decide when someone has fallen back enough to have lost their salvation. You know, tell me again, which sin is it that Jesus can't be victorious over? Which one is it? Huh? Rejecting him. Because he, that's the only one, right? And even that, we can repent, right? John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' victory satisfies the price of every sin, past, present, and future. That's, that's what propitiation means. Friends, is Jesus really a savior if he can fail? It, is your sin or someone else's sin more powerful than God's promised victory in his son? You know, the apostle Paul said this, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse says, nothing in all creation. Are you part of the creation? Then can you backslide yourself out of Christ's victory? Beloved, if we have been saved, we can be assured that we fight from victory, not for victory. Notice, Jesus won't even entertain this man's question about other people's qualifying for their salvation. Instead, he gives correction, uh, understanding the victory of salvation by correcting the whole crowd. And he says to them, strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Ken, you said his gospel's completely inclusive. And now Jesus says that the way is narrow and that some will maybe not be able to enter. Yes. It's completely inclusive for all. But there's one way to enter. There's one way to enter. That is by battling to hold on the promise of faith in Jesus Christ. By, by holding on to what he did for you. The question is not whether someone can lose or disqualify themselves from salvation. It's whether they ever had it. Whether they ever battled in faith. Jesus says, strive. This word in the Greek is where we get the idea uh, uh, that the word agonize from. The idea is of struggling, straining in an athletic contest. You know, in high school, I was a, a state qualifying pole vaulter. And state qualifying was 13-6. And in, in my junior and senior years, I had been over that height many times in, in practices and meets. And most local um, track meets in our district could be one at the height of 11.6 or 11 feet. Now, even though I, I, I was uh, a 13.6 vaulter, I, I could not go to those meets and say, hey, I'm a 13.6 vaulter. Give me the first place ribbon. <laughs> I jump higher than anybody else. They wouldn't have done that for me. But some of the state qualifiers kind of had that attitude. And instead of striving with others in competition at the lower heights, they, they would wait and sit back until the bar was like at 12 feet, and then they would come strutting in to make their first jump. And often what happened was their muscles were so cold, and mentally they were not quite in the game, and they missed three times and disqualified themselves. See, they were not striving with others in the competition. You know, I, that, it was my junior and senior year, I, I won most of my local meets because I would always come in and start jumping at 10, 6, or 11 feet. And often I, I would win the meet, score points for my team, and, and then I would have the bar put up higher to 13 or 14 feet, and, and then work towards my personal best. I was striving from victory, not for victory. I'd already won. Because of this, I was relaxed. I was warmed up, and I performed better because I had already won the competition. And our Christian life is the same. If we look at it that we've already won the competition, life becomes better. You know, there are vaulters that posted better heights than me that were often losing. They, they were not victorious because they were not striving against gravity with everyone else. 
You know, the Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to were a lot like those pole vaulters. They had God's superior moral laws. They had peak moments in their history, times uh, where they were at the peak of religious knowledge and devotion. But they counted on past victories instead of trusting in the present eternal victory. They, they were not striving to enter by faith. And so they were not able to enter into true victory. Overconfidence in our ability to live in victory ourselves is just as dangerous to victory as not believing that you have victory. Because our overconfidence in the wrong thing, in our flesh, in what we have done, is not victory. It's about what he has done to win us victory. See, Jesus entered the game with us. He did not come into humanity privileged. He came poor, without education, without status, without past life victories that made him more worthy than others. Instead, he came to serve the team. He came to serve us. He, he came to give us victory first, not show us how high he could fly. See, Jesus won the victory for our team so we could all recover and pursue God's design for our lives and, and achieve our best heights. He took the pressure off for us because he performed all that was necessary. The, the narrow door is striving to believe in his victory, not trying to create your own. Creating our own will make us a little arrogant like some of the state qualifying vaulters I used to compete with. That arrogance will keep us grounded instead of flying high in his victory. The narrow gate is trusting in his ability, not our own or anything in our flesh. You know, the religious Jews trusted in their heritage. They, they trusted in their superior religion. They trusted in their knowledge of the law. So they believed only their few only their few in their little club would ever qualify to enter the kingdom of God. They all believed if, you know, this overconfidence, uh, you know, was um, the thing that kept them from striving to believe in God's ancient promise of victory in Jesus. Instead, they were constantly judging behavior. The bar they judged people's behavior at was the best height, not God's qualifying height. We, we don't enter God's kingdom based on our best behavior. We, we enter his kingdom solely on Jesus's perfect behavior. Our pride is a big door that we're all tempted to enter instead of the narrow door of faith in what he has done to be victorious for all. Many of the Jews in Jesus' time believed in kind of a, a universal salvation for all Jews who were like them and who practiced their religion and, and, and did not do anything too wicked. You know, many today who are not striving in faith believe, hey, I'm okay. If I don't do anything too wicked and I, I say I'm a Christian, I have the right religion, I have the right heritage, I, I even have kind of the right behavior. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all tell the same story of a rich young ruler. 
He was in the Jewish faith. And he, and he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to enter eternal life? And Jesus asked him, asked him does he know the commandments? And he lists five of them that, are the, that most moral people keep, at least in front of others. And the man sincerely says, Jesus, I have kept them all since I was a boy. Because the man was striving in the wrong competition. He was probably uh, from the right family. He, he had great talent. The man had great ability. His future was bright. He, 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 did, he needed to wear shades. Young people like that don't usually rule a synagogue. He had competed to be as good a man as a man could be. And Jesus looks at him with love and tells him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. You know what this bright star, this top flying guy walked away disheartened. He had all the right stuff. He was victorious in himself and he couldn't give it up. The disciples, they were astonished at Jesus' words. You know, that word astonished in the Greek means terrified. They were terrified because to them, that man was everything that they were striving to be. Jesus told them how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And they became more terrified. And they cried out, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, because the man trusted in his own victories, heaven was impossible. Because he just strived for his own victory. To enter heaven, we must strive to believe in Jesus as the one who is victorious. Friends, that is the narrow door. Get, that God can do the impossible in us by faith. That he can get my fat head and your fat head through that narrow hole. Through that eye of the needle. But we must give up our pride. Pride is both in our overconfidence, having too much confidence in our own victories, and it's also in our insecurity that we worry about our underperformance. Jesus is asking the crowd, are, are you striving to know me or impress me in others? If the latter, you're knocking at the wrong door. And, and Jesus continues this parable. He says, when the master of the house had risen and shut the door and you began to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Open to us. He will answer you. I do not know where you came from. And Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a, a, a banquet table at a master's house. And, and, and the guests that are coming assume because they're high flyers that they will have an open invitation. But then the host says, I don't know you. Now, now think about who Jesus is talking to. 
religious Jewish people, very religious, who think they know all about God. They believe they're special. They believe they're chosen. They are like 13 six vaulters, and everybody else is only at nine feet. And, and yet, Jesus tells them they don't qualify because they've never strived themselves to know God's victory. They're fighting from their own vict- for their own victories in life apart from God. They don't trust in him and believe his promises. They trust more in themselves. Now in this parable, they start reciting their qualifications to be at the party. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So many people ignore hearing the word of God. They, they ignore the promise of his victory by his mercy for all. And instead, they fight and claw to be better than other people. Or, or they disappear from God's presence because they don't feel as good as some other people. And both are forms of pride that keep them from seeing how good God really is and how his victory is perfectly complete. And these people said, come on, God, don't you know me? I, I, I was at the church potluck. I ate with you. I, I heard your message in Sunday school. I, I went to church every once in a while. Remember me? I, I was better than other people. I went to church sometimes. Come on, God, we're your fans. We ate and drank around you in, in, in your presence. We, we prayed before our meals. And God will say, You never ate and drank with me. See, eating and drinking is an intimate thing. You you, you did not care about what was important to me. My victory, my victory of defeating the power of sin and death so the the ones that I love could go free. You, You were too busy being great yourself or feeling bad that you were not as great as somebody else. I have no idea who you are. You're nothing like my friends. You didn't care to be friends with me. Depart. And I want you to remember, Jesus is saying to to some of the most moral people around from a human perspective. They knew his law. They practiced his law. And he called them workers of evil because they did not know him. They did not know the goodness of the victory he had for them. And then verse 28 says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself are cast out. Now, weeping and gnashing of teeth is a visual picture of hell. Weeping talks about a place of great sorrow. And gnashing of teeth talks about a place of deep regret. I could have had a complete victory in Jesus through forgiveness and eternal life, but I did it my way. I chose my victories. I trusted in myself instead of God's love and mercy for me. The door was open to me to receive mercy, 
but I was out in front of it, blocking it from myself. I should have strived to humble myself and, 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 and learn to trust in God's victory. Friends, can you see how the question, will those who enter be few, is an insult to God and proves that you may not really trust in his victory? You know, Jesus here mentions Abraham, the father of faith, to the Jewish people. And, and, and these people were all striving to prove that they were genetically linked to Abraham because that made them important and that gave them victory over others. But there's a story in Genesis 15 where Abraham is losing his faith. He's losing it because he does not have the, the promised son from God and he's getting too old. And he comes complaining to God and God says to him, look at the stars and, and number them if you are able. Now, friends, this is an impossible task for man. Even a great man like Abraham that is celebrated by three of the top world religions. You know, today, images from the Hubble telescope suggest that there are two trillion galaxies. And there's an average of about 100 million stars in each of those galaxies. Friends, it would take you six years to count to 100 million for one of those galaxies. To count to one trillion, it would take you 31,709 years. It's impossible for man. But then the Bible says, a man without a son in his 80s believed God's word a victory to him. He believed in God's victory, not in what he could achieve or what he could not achieve. And the Bible says God credited him with righteousness. He made him sinless. God saved him because he believed in the impossible thing that God said to him. He believed that God would bring his victory. He believed that children of faith would be a multitude beyond counting. It would not just be a, a few that were saved. God's mercy would be vast. It would be uncountable. You know, in the book of Revelation, in, in chapter 7, verse 9, there's a picture of heaven that John the Apostle sees. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. Does that sound like there are only a few saved? A few saved from some special club of holy people? God's victory in Jesus brings an uncountable number, like two trillion Jesus says, strive. God's grace is vast, friends. Strive. It's promised. But friends, it's also not universal. The Bible does not support universalism, that, that all get to enter the kingdom of heaven because men are just and women are just relatively good and, and they just deserve it. The Bible doesn't support that. See, Isaac trusted in God by faith, that God would provide the sacrifice 
for his victory. You know, he, he, he trusted in that. If he didn't trust in that, he wouldn't be walking into the woods with his dad with a knife and ready to sacrifice him, right? He, he trusted that God would provide. Jacob wrestled all night with God until God gave him the blessed victory, he, he, the blessing. He, he held on to God. He wrestled with him, an athletic contest. And, and God gives him a new name, Israel, which means God has a victory or God prevails. All the prophets preached about this victory of Jesus through the mercy of God. And by their striving in faith in his victory, Jesus is promising here, they made it. They made it to be righteous before God. And then Jesus says this, and the people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Oh, this had to make all those people trusting in their own victories mad. Jesus is saying there's going to be Gentiles there. Those sinful Greeks and Romans, they're going to be partying in heaven with God and his kingdom. And, 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 and some of us purebred Abraham's sons are not getting in. Do, do you mean that heaven, God's kingdom, is not just for a few of us perfect people? You're going to just let anybody in? You know, there's a joke about a man who who went to heaven, and he's enjoying this huge feasting and this partying. And, you know, he gets up to look, uh, I think, for maybe a bathroom. I don't know if there's bathrooms in heaven, but he goes looking, and he, and he starts looking around, and he sees a, a closed room. And he, he looks in, and he sees a small group of people sitting around a table having a little party. And, and so he asks Peter, hey, wh what's going on in there? Why aren't they part of the big party? And, and, and Peter says, shh, don't go in there. That's the Catholics. They think they're the only ones here. It would ruin heaven for them if they knew. I'm just teasing the Catholics. We could say the same thing about many Baptists and many Presbyterians and many Jews and, and many Pentecostals. If you believe that there is only going to be a select few in heaven, you're not believing in God's promised victory for all people. Psalm 145, 7 through 9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Beloved, do you believe in the goodness of God who has given you victory in Jesus? Or are you still striving to be perfect in your own victory? Believing in his victory actually is what makes you merciful to others. You know, in the first century, many of the Jews actually liked the preaching of the gospel of Jesus until Paul or Jesus or somebody preached it was for the Greeks and Romans too. Then they tried to beat up those who were preaching. They tried to kill the messenger because they trusted more in the perfection of their own flesh than what God had said about his coming victory to all nations because of his great love. Narrow is the door because of our hatred for one another. The true gospel of grace is more offensive to man than the exclusive one that some preach because it says that none of us are righteous, no, not one, that we are all desperate children of wrath, even the best of us, because of our rebellion against God. 
But when the fullness of time came, the scriptures say, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. God allowed his own perfect son to die in a humiliating, cruel way on a cross in the hands of sinful men. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sin, our sin was placed on him and his righteousness was credited to those who will trust in his victory. There is no way for any of us to have victory in ourselves. Jesus did the impossible. He shared his victory over sin with us. He put sin and death to death, and it was buried with him. But on the third day, he arose victorious over death and sin, and he walked out of the grave, and he is alive today. And our victory, his victory, his victory is your victory if you will strive to know him and his victory. Today, you can know that you have the forgiveness of your sins and that you have the gift of eternal life. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have not done, believe God's bold message of grace for all sinners through his son's victory. Jesus said, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Friends, salvation is about his victory, not your victories. Some will be last who counted on their own victories, the own victories of their life in the flesh, instead of the victory of God. And many others will go first into the kingdom of God because they didn't count on themselves. They counted on the victory that was won for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that we fight from victory, not for victory. Father, I, I pray today, if anybody's been fighting on their own, doing it on their own, that, Father, that today they would turn, turn from that sin, turn from the wrong door, and turn to you. Turn to your victory. Accept and receive that victory for themselves. Father, let, let, let peace come. Let them relax and, and perform love and life so much better because they are, are trusting in what you have done for them. Father, let them walk with you into the kingdom, trusting in what you have done. We praise the name of Jesus who was victorious. We're going to sing a song about how worthy he is. Lord, we need to stop being worthy ourselves and, 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 and praise you for your worth, and your magnitude, and your glory. Father, if there's anybody standing in front of the door, the narrow door themselves, let them humble themselves today and enter the narrow place, the place where Jesus is. I pray.
pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all stand? Let's praise him for his worth. Today, if you recognize you need to repent, return from your own victories to his victory, I'll be here. Come, repent. Trust in him.